Father, we, we do ask now that as we open your word together that you would uh, open our eyes to see truth in Jesus, that you would open our ears to hear from you, open our hearts to receive you and believe uh, the gospel. Lord, we pray for those in here that may still not know Christ as their Savior, that they would see that salvation belongs to the Lord and that they can be saved through Christ. Um, encourage us, Lord, right now with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, chapter two. I wanted you to think about being at the beach for a minute. All right, what beach, what beach should we be at? Myrtle Beach. We'll go with Myrtle Beach. All right, imagine you're at Myrtle Beach. Thank you, Ben. And uh, you're with... Uh, with some friends, and you're at the beach, and you start, you start kind of wandering out into the waves, and the waves are pretty strong, and you're hanging out in the waves, and uh, there's one kicker to the story, you can't swim. So you're out, you're, you're kind of hanging out in the waves, and you think you're safe. Listen up. The waves are getting rough, and your friend is on the shore, and he's telling you, hey, that's not a good idea, you should come back in a little closer. And you say, no, no, I got it. So you start playing, you start wandering out a little bit farther. And they keep saying to you, hey, I wouldn't do that. Storm's getting worse. You need to come back closer. And you say, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine, really. I'm just going to go up to my waist. So you go up to your waist, and soon your friend looks up, and you're up to your stomach. And they say, hey, you need to come in. That's not a good idea. And you say, no, I'm fine. Please, I got it. And then soon enough, you've wandered out to your shoulders, and the waves are still rough, and they say, you need to come back now. And you're like, fine, I'm fine, my head is still above water. All of a sudden, they look back, and you have wandered, and now all of a sudden, you can't feel the bottom of the ocean under your feet, and now you've wandered too far. The waves have started to take you out beyond what you can, beyond what you can stand on, and now you're treading water, and now you're starting to panic and you're starting to drift out into sea, right? And in that moment, you are now desperate because now you can't really see your friend. They're too far. You're starting to sink, and now you're desperate, and so now you're doing everything you can to call for your friend to help you, all right? The person you were just ignoring the whole time is now the one person you desperately need. Because they can swim and you can't, and you're doing everything you can to flag them down to get you safe. All right, when we think about the book of Jonah, all right, Jonah has been running from God, right? He's been ignoring God, uh, running away from what God called him to do, which was to take the gospel to people he hated in Nineveh. He's been running. God sent a storm after him, he still did not listen. He told the sailors to throw him off the boat. He'd rather die than be obedient to God or to repent. So he gets thrown off the boat. He starts sinking into the water. And just when he thinks he's about to die, God sends a fish to swallow him up. And now he's in the belly of the fish. And the one person he's been running from this whole time is now finally, he finally sees that he is the one person that he actually needs. It's God himself. He keeps running from God, running from God, running from God. And now... He sees in his desperation, he needs God to rescue him. Okay, And God has sent this fish to rescue Jonah. We talked about last time that how do we, how do we 
uh, what is God doing when we're alone at the lowest point of our life there with Jesus, right? Now, this week, we want to think about when God rescues us, when God does something in our life to get our attention, how should we respond to God's mercy in that way, okay? So that's what Jonah's going to do. We're going to see him respond to the Lord, all right? So um, our main truth as we walk throughout the book, sorry, walk throughout the chapter, rather, is this. We respond to God's rescue by running back to the Savior. We respond to God's rescue by running back to the Savior. We respond to God's rescue by running back to the Savior. Now remember, Jonah did not want to get rescued. Jonah was sinking in the water, hoping that he would die. But God, in his mercy, would not let Jonah get away that easy or let him die. It was the mercy of God to send this fish to swallow him up. And then he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights in total darkness, total isolation, pitch black, in the nastiness of the belly of the fish, there with Jesus, having to deal with God. And now he realizes, oh my, what have I done? And God in his mercy is rescuing him. So how are we to respond? Let's see what Jonah does here. Let's read the text. This is Jonah 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will repay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Very pleasant ending to the chapter. The fish literally vomits Jonah up on the dry land. The, the, the main part... If you had to like um, see what is probably the most important verse in this chapter, I think it's verse 9 where Jonah finally says salvation belongs to the Lord. That's what, that's what God has been after in Jonah this whole time. He's been after his heart to get him to see that he is the Savior. He is the Savior of all people. And that Jonah needs the Savior, just like his enemies need the Savior. And so for Jonah to finally say salvation belongs to the Lord, at that moment, the Lord delivers him out of the darkness of the fish into the light of the dry land. So how do we respond to God's mercy and rescue? Uh, We respond in three ways from this prayer we see Jonah responding. The first way, point number one, is we run to God in prayer. We run to God in prayer. So first thing you see, verse one, then Jonah 
prayed to the Lord his God. In so far in chapter 1, we have not seen Jonah pray one time to God. In fact, when the storm is on the boat, who are the people praying? It's the pagan sailors praying, not Jonah. The one who should be praying, the one who has a God to stop the storm, is not praying. The pagans who don't know God are the ones calling out to him. Jonah hasn't prayed yet. Finally, we see Jonah praying to the Lord. He runs to the Lord in prayer. So Jonah is at rock bottom, right? So the fish is rock bottom. After all that he's been through, God finally has his attention. This is the lowest moment. This is the darkest place for Jonah. Nowhere to go, just him and God. He can't run anymore. This is the bottom. And it just shows you that Christ will bring you to the bottom to where the only place you can look is up. God will bring you to your knees to save you so that the only place you can look is up. Right? And Christ will do whatever it takes to get your attention. God has his attention. And the very first response that God is after in us when he has our attention is that we would cry out in desperate prayer. Desperate prayer. What is prayer? If we were to define prayer, what is prayer? Uh, New City Catechism, which I really like, their definition of prayer. They just say, prayer is pouring out your heart to God. Prayer is pouring out your heart to God. You could say it. Prayer is talking to God, speaking with God. Prayer is pouring out your heart to God. It's, it's letting him in faith have your whole heart, speaking with genuine faith to the Lord that he hears you when you pray. And we're called to be praying and pouring out our heart during the day. Are you praying? Are you pouring out your heart, students, during the day to God? Are you, are you pouring out your heart to God as you walk into school, as you're about to walk into class, as you're about to see that teacher? Are you, are you speaking to God, pouring out your heart to God? God, I need, your, I need your help today. Lord, I'm about to see that teacher. I need your help. Lord, I'm about to go into this class. I'm about to take this test. I studied for it, but I don't really feel that good about it. I need your help, Lord. I'm about to see this friend. I need your help, Lord, to talk to them. Are we talking to God like that? Are we pouring out our heart, begging him, asking him for his help continually? This is what prayer ought to be. This, God wants this in us. And if we're not praying to God, it means that we're ignoring God. We're saying to God that, God, I got this. God, I can do this on my own. And if we're ignoring God during the day, God will do whatever he has to do to get our attention, to wake us up so that we'll pray, so that we'll talk to him, pour out our hearts to him. He wants our heart. He wants us to speak with him. And so he will make us desperate for him. And he made Jonah desperate for him. So we see Jonah do first in this desperation. He, he in desperation acknowledges his need. Okay, He acknowledges his need for God. He says in verse 1, I called out in my distress. And then he talks in the language of all of these uh, ocean words, these sea words. All right, look at these words. So if you start in like verse uh, three, he says, you cast me into the deep. Remember, Jonah was literally sinking, right? So then he uses all these words to describe spiritually what was happening in his heart. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. The floods surrounded me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. I'm driven out of your sight. Verse five, the waters enclosed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. This language of being at the bottom of the sea. 
He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me. So he's using this language to describe that he was sinking lower and lower spiritually. Farther and farther away from God. Deeper and deeper into rebellion when the Lord got his attention. He acknowledged his need, his darkness, his situation. In desperate prayer, all desperate prayer must start with recognizing that we need God. All prayer starts with this reality that you need God. In fact, there has to be some sort of element of desperation in order to really pray. Even if you're just thanking God for food. Even the acknowledgement of thankfulness is still saying, God, without you, I don't have this. Right? So it's a desperation of need, even in thanksgiving. We must have a desperate heart. We must pray like our life depended on it. So we just prayed for Israel, right? They are in the midst of the absolute worst situation that they have, could ever imagine. They are in total desperation. And we pray that the Lord, in their desperation, would save them, would have mercy on them, would capture their hearts, would, that they would see that Jesus is the Messiah, right? And that he would protect those, those lives that are being hurt, wounded, and destroyed. But they're in total desperation. I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we treat God kind of like, a, um, like an ambulance, like 911, that the only time we pray is in emergencies, when we're in physical danger, or we're sick, or we're in pain, or someone's about to die. That's kind of the times we go to God in prayer. And that's good. You should go to God in prayer. But we should not treat God like he's just the ambulance that shows up to fix our problems. And we call on him only when we absolutely have to and ignore him the rest of the week. Rather, we should walk with God daily in prayer. And we should see that the biggest tragedy is not the physical danger. The biggest tragedy is that we're ignoring God. That we're sinning and not going to him in confession of sin. That we're, that we're wandering from Jesus, and God will wake us up to see this need. And he'll do whatever it takes to get our attention. Let me give you some examples. If you idolize your sport, and you're not following Jesus, and it's taking your affections off of Jesus, the Lord might give you an injury to take it away. If you're, if you're obsessed with your appearance, the Lord might take that away. Maybe one day you have a horrible experience and you get taken advantage of. And now you're at the bottom, your lowest moment. Maybe you had all the friends you could dream of and now you're, you've run your mouth and you've damaged all your friendships and now you feel completely alone. Maybe your social media addiction has you so consumed that now you're in a pretty dark place online that you can't really get out of. Whatever that is, whatever that rock bottom moment is, that moment is God rescuing you, trying to get your attention, trying to say like, hey, you need me. The only way you can get out of this is with my help, with my salvation, with my mercy, with my grace. This is the moment. I've told you uh, now a couple times that Jonah is living out Jesus' story of the prodigal son. 
The prodigal son, Jesus tells in Luke 15, the son runs away from home. He lived in perfect relationship with his father, and he runs away, and he takes the father's money and spends it all on reckless living and all kinds of sin, and then he eventually has nothing. There's a famine. He has nothing. He's, he's living with pigs in their pig slop. And it says in verse 17, it says, but when he came to his senses... When his eyes were open, the prodigal son is sitting in the pig mess, and he finally goes, what am I doing? That's eyes opened. That's the mercy of God going, wake up. Like, you have to have me. And it says he comes to his senses, and then the prodigal son, you know what he does? He goes, the servants in my father's house live better than I do. Maybe I could go back home. I'm not worthy to be a son. Maybe I can go back home and offer to my dad that I can be his servant. And maybe he'll take me back. So he starts walking home, and the story is so beautiful. It says, when the father saw his son from a long way off, he runs to him in compassion. And he wraps him up, and he kisses him, and he hugs him, and it's this embrace of the father's love for the son. And that's what God wants to do for you. He wants your eyes to be open to see your need for him so that you will come back to him. Whatever that dark moment is, when you can see it, when you can step back and see that it's darkness, it's brokenness, and now I need Jesus, that is the moment that God is rescuing you. And we want to come back to him. Not only do we see desperate prayer, but before we, before we advance on to the next point, I want you to see something, that the Lord hears his prayer. It says in verse 1, it says, you heard my voice, and, was that right before I say that too quickly? Yeah, so you heard my voice a second. Right before that it says, and he answered me, verse 2. He answered me, he heard my voice. When we cry out to God in desperate prayer from the dark place that we're in, the Lord hears you the lord answers you that means that when you cry out to him he does not respond like this told you so i knew you'd come running back you got yourself into this mess you're going to have to clean it up yourself god does not treat us that way he hears us he is ready to hear us he is ready to shower us with grace and love and mercy. That's the God we serve. Ready to forgive. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is ready to forgive you when you come back to him. He will never despise you. All right, point number two. Not only do we pray, we remember God's love. So we remember God's love. Look at verse seven and eight. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. For those who pay regard to vain idols, they forsake the hope of steadfast love. So the, it is not just the crying out that we want to do. We also need to remember God's love. Okay, We're not just venting to God. All right, That's not what saves you. It's not just you just venting. God is not your therapist. Okay, It's not you on the couch venting and blowing off steam and that's it all right god wants you to recall to mind remember 
the Lord's love and remember his promises for you. We want to remember God's promises like a koala. Okay, let me show you what I mean. Let's have our koala picture up there. Thank you. All right. This is how you want to remember God's love. You see what that koala is doing? I know, look at his fingers, right? He is clinging, holding on to that tree branch. And the way he holds on to that limb is the way we hold on to the promises of the love of God. When you remember God's love, you do not just remember in passing that God loves you. Oh, God loves me. That's cool. I've heard that my whole life. No, no, no. You cling to the promises of God's love toward you in Christ. And you hold on to them and you believe them and you don't let them go even on the days when you don't feel them. Because they're true. They're rock solid reality and you will hold on to them. So when you feel in that dark moment and you're crying out, the only hope you have of change is the love of God toward you in Christ. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love toward you right now in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for us. When you were at your worst moment, on your worst day, God loved you. God's love toward you is not even dependent upon what you can do. So a lot of times we think if we're crushing it in the Christian life, God really loves us. And if we're doing a lot of sin, God doesn't love us that much. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus, his son. And no matter what you do, if you are in Christ, God loves you as much as he loves his son, Jesus which means that there is nothing you could ever do to separate you from the love of God, which is Romans 8, 35 to 39. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall distress separate us? That's one of the words in there, which is what Jonah is in. No, no distress will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing you could go into. No sin is dark enough. No filth is deep enough. No whole is is too deep to get out of for God's love to come and rescue you. God's love is for you all the time. You must remember this and hold on to this like your life depended upon it because there's no way for you to change and have hope in the midst of that dark moment without believing that truth. We must remember the Lord and remember his love. It said in verse 7, those who uh, pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of their steadfast love. That means if they focus on idols, they bypass the love of God. They just forget it because they're so focused on changing by focusing on their own idols. One of the idols of today's culture is self-love. Okay, that if you just love yourself more, right, Treat yourself more. Take care of yourself. Give, you need time for you, right? That you need to learn to love yourself. That's the phrase we use now. We need to learn to love ourselves right where we are in the midst of our sin and mess, and that's going to somehow change us. No, it won't. Because we will never change by looking into ourselves. 
Whatever's in here is full of sin. It's not good. Romans 7 says, there's nothing good in my flesh. We don't want to look in. We want to look out. The only way we are changed by love is by looking out to God's love in Christ. Our hope is not in self-love. Our hope is in Christ's love. His love for us. His love toward us while we were sinners. You can't love yourself to change yourself. That's not how that works. You need to run and realize that there's only sin in you and there's perfect righteousness in Christ and you've got to go to Christ who loves you. And in that moment, that's how we begin to change and get out of this hole and get out of this mess and begin to walk in obedience. So, koala, that's what you got to do. Remember, God's promises like a koala holds on to that tree. How do you remember God's promises? Well, you've got to open your Bible to do that. So, the only hope you have to cling to promises in the midst of darkness is by running to God's word. So if you're not in God's word, you won't have anything to grab onto. You know what I'm saying? Like you, there's nothing for you to grab if you're not holding on to this book. This is the promise of God for you. This is the love of God for you. So open this book. Open to Romans. Open to Ephesians. Open to Colossians. And cling to all of those promises there when you're at the bottom in sin and God will rescue you and deliver you from it. Lastly, third thing, third response to God's rescue is we rejoice in God's salvation. We rejoice in God's salvation. Jonah says here at the end, salvation belongs to the Lord. I love this. This is the whole message of the Bible, right? Summed up in one sentence. He declares salvation belongs to the Lord. We said that at the beginning, that God has been after Jonah to get him to believe this. Because he didn't believe that salvation should go to the Ninevites. And he still wasn't really believing that he needed saving. Because he felt righteous because he was an Israelite. He felt like he had pretty much earned God's favor. And he now acknowledges that only God can save him. Here's what this means for Jonah. Here's what it means for us. Salvation belongs to the Lord means that we cannot fix ourselves. We can't clean ourselves up to come to Jesus. We can't make ourselves more approachable for God. We can't make ourselves more presentable for God. We can't clean up our life with nice good deeds, um, you know, good grades, good church attendance, memorizing Bible verses. You can't clean your life up for God to love you or to, to come back to Jesus. I think a lot of us, we think, if I just kind of, fix these things, then I would feel good about then going to Jesus. And the reality is, we go to Jesus in our mess, in our sin. We bring to Jesus all the awkward, all the mess, all the guilt, all the shame, all the weakness, all the sin, and we say, here I am, salvation belongs to the Lord. You're my only hope. That's it. You're, you're all I've got. I can't do anything to fix myself, save myself. I need Jesus and Jesus alone. And I feel like this verse allows us to realize that it's okay to be at church and to feel like we're messed up, awkward, and sinful, and jacked up. Because that's really what we are. 
and we come to church and try to present ourselves to not be that way. When in reality, that is what we are. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all got our addictions and mess-ups and guilt. And could we just maybe be a little bit more open and honest and be willing to say, hey, I'm jacked up too, but I'm going to boldly believe that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'm just going to hold on to the grace of Jesus. That's what we ought to be. Because when you share your sin with someone else, then they go, man, I am messed up too. Here's what I'm struggling with. And then you both get to pour into each other and encourage each other in the gospel, in the love of Christ. But when we stay silent, we can't do that. We think, oh, she's got it all together, and you think, oh, she's got it all together, and he thinks, well, he, I, don't, I don't live like him. I don't read my Bible like him. I've got to present myself in this certain perfect way, and we keep ourselves hidden. And the healing comes in the light. We've got to come out into the light. That's where we find healing. That's where we find salvation. And then once we do that, and we get to that place, we are then now freed up to be sent and used by God to now proclaim this message, salvation belongs to the Lord with our teachers and our neighbors and our friends and our enemies. We're now freed up because now we're not thinking about ourselves. We're now freed up. We've embraced the grace and the salvation of Christ. We're walking in it. And we are now motivated to now tell people salvation belongs to the Lord. Who do you need to share that message with this week that salvation belongs to the lord jesus christ only in him can we be saved maybe you're in here you don't have a relationship with jesus you're not saved you don't know if you've been forgiven you need to hear that salvation is found in jesus christ alone look to him he died for your sins he rose again to give you eternal life and whoever puts their faith in him and trust in him alone will be saved that's the message and you believe that and you hold on to it and you chase after it. And you give your whole life for that mission. Let me leave you with three application questions. And then we'll pray and then we'll sing one more time. Do you need to cry out to the Lord tonight in desperate prayer? Maybe you've been ignoring God. Do you need to cry out to him in desperate prayer? Has he brought you to a point where you need to do that? That's question number one. Question number two is, do you need to cling to a promise of God's love right now? Do you need to cling to a promise that God loves you just as much as he loves his son because your faith is in him and you are hidden with Christ and he loves you and you need to remember that. Last question, do you need to stop trying to fix yourself and turn to Christ in whom is salvation? Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop trying to save yourself and start looking to Christ who is your Savior. Maybe that's what you need to do. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we believe that salvation belongs to the Lord. God, I pray that we would believe that truth and cling to that truth with all of our hearts and that you would transform us into the image of Christ through it. God, I pray for the students in the room who are struggling to believe in Christ, that you would open their eyes. 
I pray for those that, that need healing, God, that are in a dark moment, Lord, would you help them to respond to you by coming to you in prayer, clinging to your promise of love, remembering that salvation belongs to the Lord. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.